0: 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 27. This is one of my favorite parts of Scripture. It's a lot of fun. Uh, a lot of neat pictures that, that Paul puts in here. We've come to Paul's discussion of spiritual gifts here in 1 Corinthians. Look at verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Paul started out this chapter by saying, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. How many of you like being called ignorant? Okay. Some people, we talked about this on Thursday. Some people, when it comes to the spiritual gifts, they want to ignore, that's where, part, part of the word, right? Ignorant. They want to ignore Paul's instructions that all things be done decently and in order. But there's others in the church, perhaps in recoil from the abuses of the first group, that want to ignore spiritual gifts altogether. Well, in the scriptures, we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter. So we don't have the opportunity, we don't have the luxury to ignore these things. Paul says, I do not want you to be ignorant brethren. So, we're going to be looking at some of the spiritual gifts on Thursday. We started, kind of at a primer last Thursday. Um, but we're going to specifically be explaining some of the, the verses, the, the gifts that you will see in like verses 8 through 10. Um, what we're going to find, I promise you, in case you're scared of the spiritual gifts, I promise you what you will discover is that God is a good father who knows how to give good gifts to his children. Jesus says, specifically talking about the Holy Spirit, he says, if, if a, a son, you, how many of you are dads? If Jesus was here today, he would say, how many of you are dads? You know how to give good gifts to your children, right? If one of your children asks for a piece of bread, you will not give him a stone. If one of your children asks for a fish, you will not hand him a serpent. There's nothing spooky or out of control or harmful about the gifts that the Spirit gives when he gives them. So I want to encourage you guys, all of you, if you can, to come on Thursday. We'll call it Christmas in April. Unwrapping the gifts. We're going to discover what gifts I believe have been waiting for you under the tree of Calvary. So, but today, in the context of spiritual gifts, Paul talks about something that even if you're like, oh, I don't believe that the gifts even exist, this is still really pertinent to you, even though you're wrong about that other thing. This is really pertinent to all of us, and it's talking about living in the body of Christ. Let's get a running start with me. Uh, Verse 7 through 11, we're going to read that. Um, And remember, the context is spiritual gifts. I want you to notice verse 7 and verse 11. They are the bookend statements. Verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. Verse 11, but one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Notice the bookings. Verse 7 says, but the manifestation of the spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. The Holy Spirit shows himself when he manifests himself. It will be in different ways. He gives good gifts, not for the profit of one, not for the profit of someone to stand up and say, look at me, but for the profit of all. The Holy Spirit, if he chooses to give you a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, it's not so you can impress your friends. It's not so you can show how spiritual you are. It is for the profit of all. Now look with me at verse 11. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. What we're going to see all through this chapter, woven throughout this chapter, is this great theme of unity and diversity or unity in diversity now i know that that sounds like some course that they make you go to at work but you need to know your boss totally stole it from god unity in diversity it's not some politically correct seminar from human resources no it's it's a beautiful picture about god's human resources you A picture of the endless creativity of God, and yet there's this order to his creation. No two fingerprints alike, no two snowflakes alike, and yet there is this wonderful order to his creation. Paul compares, as we go through here, the church, us, you guys, the body of Christ to the human body. Look at verse 12. For as the body, Paul says, is one and has many members But all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. Paul compares the church, the body of Christ, to our human bodies. I think you've discovered this. God is a great teacher. And one of the tools of a great teacher is the object lesson. A lesson from an object. Taking an object... And teaching a lesson about something you can't see with something you can see. Well, when it comes to unity and diversity, Paul says, God has given us a wonderful, portable object lesson. You brought it in with you this morning. It is your body. It's the picture of unity and diversity. Many members, many parts, all of them have a different job to do. The eye, the hand. The feet, the nose, the ears, the heart, the duodenum. You don't get to say that very often in church. But each one, each part has its own assignment, has a special ability, but each one is critical to the functioning of the body. And each one, every cell in your body, though they are so different, each one has this strand of DNA code that's all the same. Truly, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. That's what the Bible says. And Paul says, look, your body is an object lesson, a picture of the body of Christ. It's a picture of the church. We are the body of Christ. Most of us, hopefully all of us in this room, would agree that Jesus is coming back. It could be today. But until he does, we are his body. If he is going to reach out to this dying world, it's going to be through our hands. If he's going to speak to your neighbors about heaven, it's going to be through your lips. Your body is an object lesson. The body of Christ is many members, but just one body. Now, how do you become a part of the body of Christ? Look with me at verse 13. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether by whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. It's the second time, by the way, he's mentioned already not one member, but many members, one body here. It says that we become part of the body by being baptized into the body of Christ. Now, do they mean you have to be? physically baptized before you can uh, be saved, before you can be part of the body. No, back in chapter 10, verse 2, Paul talked about how the Israelites were baptized into Moses when they went through the Red Sea. The idea is that they were identified with Moses. So in this context, it means identified with. When you were saved, when you were born again, I hope that's all of you. hope that's all of us. When that happened, the Spirit baptized you, the Bible says, it immersed you into the body of Christ. You are now identified with Christ. Jesus says, you will be in me and I in you. You are linked. You are in Christ. That's what makes us acceptable to God. The fact that I can't be righteous on my own, but if I am in Christ... God looks at me and before he sees my mess, he sees Jesus. If you have not been born again, I hope you will today because you need to be to be in Christ, to be acceptable before God. Look at verse 13 again. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. I love this. This is really just a passing point, but it's a pretty astounding thing. We've seen this before. This was a racist class-conscious society. And yet, Paul could state as an undisputed fact among Christians, he just says it in passing. It's like, well, whether you're Jew or Greek, makes no difference. Whether you're slave or free, it makes no difference. We are all part of one body. That was amazingly radical at this time. But he just says it just in passing. That is what the, the love of Christ can do to a body of believers. So, like Like a professor in a human anatomy class, Paul now stands the human body in front of his class and says, he begins his lecture. Look at verse 15. Paul says, If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? (laughs) What a great teacher Paul is by the Holy Spirit. Let's say you came, got home from church today and you you made it through the rain. Let's say you took off your shoe and your left foot said to you, we need to talk. Said, look, I'm tired of being your foot. I want to be a hand. I mean, the hand gets all the glory. When you seal a deal, you shake hands. You never shake hands feet you always say hey let me give you a hand you never say hey let me give you a foot when someone someone giving you a hand is a good thing someone giving you the boot is not a good thing the foot says to you nobody ever says look i've really got to foot it to you foot says to you let me tell you being a foot it stinks I quit. And there he goes. Hopping out the door. But it gets worse. There you are. Mourning the, the loss of your left foot. And suddenly your right ear pops off your head. It plops down on the table in front of you and says. "Well, Okay, now that we've breached the subject. <clears throat> I'm going to talk and you're going to listen. Which is difficult because your ear is on the table. But, but the ear says to you. Look. If I can't be an eye, I quit. I mean, women are flattered when you talk about their big, beautiful eyes. But say to a woman, hey, I like your big floppy ears. It's not going to (laughs) work. Your ear says to you, nobody writes songs about ears. I only have ears for you. Jeepers, creepers, where'd you get those big old ears? The ear says, look, I'm not important. I quit. Hey, foot, wait up. Apparently, there were some in the Corinthian church. They looked around and they saw other people's gifts, other people's talents, other people's callings. And they felt either insignificant or they felt insulted. Have you ever felt that way? Ever felt that way in church or about the church? Have you ever felt insignificant? Like, well, I can't sing. I can't speak in public. I'm scared to pray. I'd serve in children's ministry, but they'd run from me. I've got nothing to offer. Have you ever thought to yourself, I'm not part of the body? If that's you, I need to tell you, you need to have a fundamental change of the way you look at church. The church is not a building where we come together once a week to do God's business. The church is not an organization where we get together once a week to minister. Listen, the church is an organism that should be ministering all the time, every day. See, Sundays and Thursdays, those are the times we gather together, but it's to regroup It's to recharge. It's to get our marching orders. But the real work of the church is when the body stretches out to your jobs, to your neighborhoods, to your families. Maybe you can't preach a 40-minute sermon. Maybe you wish I couldn't preach a 40-minute sermon. But you can live a 40-year sermon Sermon. Hopefully you're getting the fact that the message is that you are not insignificant. The Bible says right here, you are vital. I believe God, Paul is saying, God is saying, look, you need to receive your gifts. You need to unwrap your gifts. You need to know your gifts. You need to use your gifts as part of the body of Christ, be a vital member. Maybe, that, maybe I'm not talking to you, though. Maybe I'm talking now to you if you are, instead of insignificant, you feel, well, insulted. I'm tired of being a foot. I can preach at least as good as that guy. I want to be the mouth. Of course, if that were true, then you'd have foot and mouth disease. But this is is important. This is the bane of the church, I think. This is a brilliant strategy of the enemy. Think about it. I believe the enemy is saying, okay, I'm going to get as many saints as I can to think that they have no gifts. They have no talent. They have no way to bless the body. And then for the rest of them, I'm going to get those guys, the ones that do know they have gifts, I'm going to get them to despise the gifts that they have and to wonder why they don't have somebody else's gift or calling Paul answers that, by the way, in verse 17. Look at verse 17. He says, Look, if if the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? Now, there's another picture for you. We, We all write songs about women's beautiful eyes, right? Now, single guys. What if you went on a blind date? You knocked on the door. The door opens and your date is a five and a half foot tall eyeball. That's not a date. That's a scary movie. And it's long and awkward, I would think, too. Uh, So you want to go to a movie or something? Blink once for yes, twice for no. Likewise, a date with a giant ear. Like... Ladies, how do you pitch to your friend a date with a six foot tall ear? Well, I hear he's a great listener. Look at verse 18. But now God has set the members. Notice that God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? You see it, right? The point is no, no member is insignificant. Every single member has an important job to do. If God has placed you in the body of Christ, you have an important job to do. God knows what he's doing. We've had people pass by our church, come in, check it out, leave, say, I, I love the teaching, people are great, worship's not bad, but I'm a single And you don't have many singles. So I'm going to move on. Or I'm a student and I'm looking for a place with lots of students. Well, excuse me for saying so. But isn't that precisely the point? Wouldn't that be like the heart saying to the transplant candidate, look, I'm sorry, I was hoping for a body with a lot more hearts in it. As though the body exists for the member and not the member for the body. Do you get it? Could it be that God is calling you to this body that is short on singles because you are single? Could it be that God is calling you to this body that is short on youth because you are youth? Could it be that God is calling you a musician that might be short on musicians because you're a musician? You can go down the list, whatever it is you think, oh, there's nobody like me here. Well, there you go. Look at verse 20. But now, indeed, there are many members, yet one body. That's the third time he said that. Different words, but basically the same thing. Look, many members, one body. So far now, Paul has talked to those members that feel insignificant, insignificant. He's talked to those members who feel insulted. Verse 21, I believe he turns his attention to those members of the body that want to be independent. Look at verse 21. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. If you were here a while back when we took a side trip to these verses, you probably remember the illustration. It's a hard one to forget. It goes like this. What if in the next couple minutes, your eye said to you, I don't need you guys. I'm the eye. I have songs written about me. I'm the window to the soul. I'm out of here. And your eye popped out of your head, and it rolled out the door, out into the rain. Ridiculous, you say. That could never happen. I tell you, it happens all the time. In church. In the body of Christ, it happens all the time. A member says, Look, I don't need to come to church to be a Christian. Look, I I make it when I can, when there's something not better on TV or I don't have something better to do. What if your eyes were to treat your body like that? Before long, two things happen. Number one, the body suffers. The loss of the use of the eye, there's no vision. Starts bumping into things. It starts tripping over obstacles that yesterday it would have seen. But number two, not only does the body suffer, but the eye dies. It's cut off from the blood supply and it won't be very long before that eye dies. I've said this before too. If you say to me, look, I can be a Christian and not come to church. I say, yeah, a dead one. If you are cut off from the Organism, it's not very long before you start to die. To be a living, growing, prospering eyeball, you must be connected to the body. And more than that, the whole body suffers when you are gone. I promise you, that's true. The person you were supposed to pray for, or encourage, or cry with, that person suffers when you are not in your socket. Now, the eye might try to say to the hand, I have no need of you, but get something in your eye and try telling that to your hand. Right? The eye says, I don't need you. And then all of a sudden there's a splinter in the eye or whatever. The eye says, hey, can I get a little help? And it's like, I thought you didn't need me. The head might say to the foot, look, I don't need you. But remove the head, sit it on a table. In an hour, he'll be saying, "Uh, can I get a little help here? No matter how talented you are or how irritating I am to you or how irritating the rest of the body is, the point is, you need us. We need you. We need each other. We are stuck together. Sorry. We're stuck together. And the sooner we realize it, the better. Look at verse 22. Paul says, no. Much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. Paul's on a roll here. He's got this this vision of the body, and now it's like, all right, all these ideas are coming. Again, if you think you are insignificant... Or worse yet, that someone else in the body is insignificant. Paul says, look, we we learn from our unpresentable parts. Our less honorable parts. Let's talk about our bellies. Who wants to talk about your belly? No. For most of us, I think it's safe to say, our bellies are less honorable. For most of us, our bellies are downright unpresentable. And yet... We do pay pay close attention to our bellies. I mean, some have made a science of it. Does this make me look fat? Maybe I should wear black because it's slimming. Or vertical stripes because it draws away the eye. And I hear ladies say these things too. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this next thing, but he's talking about unpresentable part. Maybe he's talking about what we used to call our private parts. They're not very private these days. But it wasn't so long ago that men and women had modesty. There were things that were left unseen. Now, are those things unimportant? Hardly. Or, let's take a different turn, quickly. What if your inner organs all got together and mutinied. (laughs) Say, we're tired of never being seen. We're coming out. We're tired of being the unsung heroes. We want to be seen. It would not be a pretty thing. The end of verse 24 says, but God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. The word schism there means division, It's like when your legs go north, your top part goes south. I think Paul has pretty much made the point here. A body divided cannot stand. It's just a bad magic trick gone awry. It's a horror to look at. It's not attractive. Paul says we are called to care for one another. He says we must care for one another. Look at verse 26. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now, Paul's saying here, obviously, it's an admonition. It's like, look, we need to look out for each other. If one member is suffering, no matter how insignificant that person feels or you think that person might be, this is an admonition. We need to be caring for one another. But it's more than an admonition. Did you notice? It's actually a statement of fact. Let me put it this way. If you came in today and you are suffering today, it's not that the body of Christ should suffer with you. It's that the body of Christ is suffering with you. Whether anyone cries with you today or prays with you today, the body is suffering It's just that we can't put a finger on it. We don't know why we're suffering. Does that make sense? If you are suffering today, if you are hurting today, I implore you, for the body to function well, we have to minister to you. How can we minister to you if you don't say, over here, I need help. I'm hurting. How can we do that unless you will ask for prayer? Verse 27 He says, now you are the body of Christ. He's talking to the Corinthians, but he's also talking to us. You are the body of Christ and members individually. A body divided is an ugly thing. But a body working together is a thing of beauty. What what is more beautiful than like a world-class athlete? Every fiber every sinew, every muscle working together to run, to win a race, to make the perfect dive, to make the perfect catch, or a dancer in a ballet, or to play a musical instrument. What is more beautiful than the the body working together? Now, don't misunderstand me, but when people come into... This body, when they come and see this body, I want them to say about our church what a beautiful body. But it means everybody knowing that they belong, using their gifts, doing what they are called to do. If He's made us one body, it's very clear he's, that He knows what He's doing. Many members, one body.